The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, continuing on the theme of wise mindfulness. This has been quite a long series. I've been collecting all of the talks on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path into a, um, a collection. And I think there are now 61 talks in that collection. <laughs> it's been going for about a year and a half now. Um, and so this is a, a continuation, just looking at each piece of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And we've been going through the Eightfold Path on, uh, we're now on wise mindfulness, which is the um, seventh factor of the Eightfold Path. So we'll finish this series probably early next year sometime. <laughs> so the, um, we've been talking about the second foundation of mindfulness. The four foundations of mindfulness are basically the Buddhist instructions on how to be uh, with our present moment experience, kind of a collection of teachings, of practices that support wisdom, understanding around our experience. I think it's important to recognize that mindfulness itself is a kind of a neutral quality. It can be the intention associated with mindfulness can be connected with greed. Um, an example of somebody who's a thief going through a house, maybe very aware, mindful of every movement they're making. But the purpose of that mindfulness is to be quiet, perhaps in order to, uh, to not be caught in the house and to steal. And so that purpose of mindfulness, that's not exactly the purpose that we're going for in our practice. We're, we're looking at our, um, our experience in order to understand it so that we can be, um, uh, we can learn about how our minds get caught, get tight, get constricted, suffer, get confused. And so the curiosity, um, I often speak of a kind of a very simple way to reflect on what wise mindfulness is. It's um, curiosity about our experience as human experience. What is the human experience of this moment? The thief in the house is not interested in the human experience of moving through the house. So that, uh, that kind of curiosity is, is kind of what imbues wise mindfulness. And the teachings in the Satipatthana Sutta encourage us to explore from that perspective. What is the experience of the present moment? And the simple instructions in the foundation of body, for instance, when breathing in, one knows one's breathing in. When breathing out, one knows one's breathing out. When walking, one knows one's walking. In the, the second foundation, which is the foundation we've been 
working on, um, the instructions are, are very simple. The foundation of feeling is um, feeling tone, we could say the English word feeling is a kind of a broader word um, that often refers to emotion. This uh, foundation maidna in, in the Pali uh, is a exploration of a very simple aspect of experience, whether experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant. Pleasant, unpleasant, sometimes neutral, that third is, is framed. This aspect of experience is a, a pretty crucial point of understanding. The Buddha points to this area of experience of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral being a key place where when we're not so present, we're not so aware, we're not so curious about our experience, habitually we tend to leap off of pleasant feeling and head towards greed, head towards the constriction of greed. We tend to leap off of unpleasant feeling and head towards the constriction, the suffering of aversion. Neutral feeling, sometimes it's not noticed at all. We can space out. We, uh, we might um, just not even be aware, kind of have a deluded or unaware experience around neutral or have a lot of views and opinions that come in around neutral experience that kind of shift it actually. I've seen that happen in my own experience, just something very neutral arising, uh, you know, just like not much happening right now in meditation. This was an interesting exploration around neutral I found. Um, and watching, being pretty aware at that moment, watching, um, uh, you know, the mind kind of create a story about that neutral experience. You know, not much is happening right now in the meditation. Oh, I must be doing something wrong. Oh, I'm failing. Shifting to the habitual pattern of I'm, I don't know how to do things. I fail. I'm bad. I'm wrong. Towards that pattern, that habitual pattern of self-hatred within seconds when the experience was very neutral. And so that, that was actually seen, that was a kind of a surprise. And I think that's something that can be interesting to explore in the terrain of neutral. I don't think I brought this in last week. Um, when experience is kind of neutral, if we're not aware of it, our habitual tendencies tend to arise. Our habitual patterns and habits tend to arise. At least that's been my, uh, my recognition, my experience. And so the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta are to simply know when experience is pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. That first section of the Satipatthana Sutta, how does one abide observing feelings as feelings? Observing feelings in and of themselves. Observing feelings as human experience. And this is that first phrase. What does it mean to observe feelings as feelings? To observe feelings as something that's arising in the present moment. When feeling a pleasant feeling, one understands I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, one understands I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, one understands I feel a neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. Again, just recognizing this is what's happening in the present moment as an experience in the present moment. 
So that's what we've been exploring the last couple of weeks. And uh, today I'd like to look at the next part of the sutta, the next part of the, the section on feeling tone, because it brings in another distinction around feeling tone. That's a pretty interesting one to um, get to know, to play with, to begin to be curious about. He uh, d defines or he kind of separates feeling tone into two different kinds of feeling tone, whether it's um, um, worldly or unworldly. See if the Pali um, Namisa, I believe, is the Pali. Just looking in my notes to see if I have that. Namisa, I think it's Namisa. Um, this is um, the the translation of this term. Um, Sometimes Bhikkhu Bodhi often uses the term worldly, and then the other side is unworldly. Uh, those words, you know, worldly, unworldly aren't words we use very much. And so it's, it's useful to, um, to reflect or to understand what is meant here. The, the Pali um, that's translated as worldly, the literal translation of it is, some, is, is something like of the flesh, Sometimes it's translated as carnal. Um, so the, those are some other words, uh, worldly, of the flesh, carnal. Um, another way it's translated is not connected to the path. That's, that's more of an interpretation translation. The literal translation is of the flesh. And so this is kind of our ordinary kind of feeling the kind of feeling tone that we're most familiar with that, you know, we tend to um, um, like certain, you know, certain things are pleasant that we like, certain things are unpleasant that we don't like. Um, feeling tone associated with um, contact with our physical senses in our ordinary, um, our ordinary lives the kind of usual way that we think about pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. The smell of a beautiful rose is pleasant. Um, the, uh, the sight of um, um, an animal that has been hit by a car might be unpleasant. Um, so those, those are the more ordinary kinds of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experience. And this includes, so the of the flesh might make us think that it's only the physical senses that this is referring to, but it also refers to any um, mental, uh, uh, mental thoughts about those kinds of experiences. So for instance, the thought, if you have a thought about um, a meal, um, you know, the kind of the pleasantness that's associated with a thought around eating a meal, that would also be worldly pleasant. So the, um, the, the purpose of distinguishing between worldly and unworldly, and then the unworldly is a feelings connected, we could say the other translations are unworldly, spiritual, 
uh, so carnal versus spiritual or um, of the path, connected to the path is another way to, to put it. So the, un the worldly or feeling tones not connected to the path of practice, the unworldly are feeling tones that tend to arise connected with the path of practice. So this is the purpose in a way of distinguishing. And that's why I think the translation connected to the path, not connected to the path is useful for us in terms of distinguishing these two kinds of feeling, these, these different classes of feeling tone, we could say. So for instance, uh, flavors of um, unworldly feeling tone. This is something that's worth looking at or thinking about. What, what are pleasant, unworldly feelings? So there is pleasure that arises very naturally as a part of our practice, as a part of our, our meditation practice. Some of the, um, um, we, can, we might have, for instance, pleasure that, there's a lot of different levels of happiness, in fact, there's, or pleasure that, that comes with the path of practice. And there's another sutta that the Buddha points to, um, you know, many kinds of happiness. There's different kinds of happiness or pleasure that are connected. Some kinds of happiness are connected with the worldly feeling tones. There is a pleasure connected with getting what we want. The Buddha points to this as the least kind of happiness and that there are other pleasures. There's a pleasure, for instance, associated with giving. So the, the pleasure that's associated with offering something. Um, there's a pleasure of being present. Now this one can create um, pleasantness that seems very like the worldly pleasant in some ways. We might confuse it. And so this one I think is, it take, is worth lingering with for a moment because as we become more present in our experience, Many of you, I'm sure, have had the experience of, of, of going out into nature, for instance, and being very present and feeling or experiencing a lot of pleasure of that, um, of the nature, you know, the beauty of the, of the nature, the, the, um, the feeling of the wind on your skin or the sun on your skin, the, the, the um, so that physical contact, the sights often quite, quite lovely in nature. Um, and so we might confuse that, you know, the, the, the pleasure that comes with being present in the present moment with experience um, can sometimes be confused with what we would call worldly pleasure. So the... Um, Now, as we become more and more present for experience, there's a, there's a kind of a pleasure that comes with the awareness that allows us to be present for what's here. I mean, um, you know, that something that might even seem in different circumstances, neutral, like for myself, um, something that um, 
you know, depending on depending on the um, the state of the mind, and we talked about this last time, how feeling tone is conditioned. Um, you know that sometimes um, what's arising may be interpreted uh, or may be experienced as pleasant and sometimes is unpleasant, depending on the state of the mind. If the mind is in an aversive state, something that in other times might be experienced as neutral or even pleasant can be experienced as unpleasant. And so when there's a presence of mind and not reactivity in the mind, things that we might experience as neutral or you know, even unpleasant at times, um, in our ordinary way of looking at things, can be, can be experienced as quite pleasant or beautiful. There can be a kind of a beauty that leads to the experience of pleasant when we are very present with experience. So, um, you know, for instance, you know, seeing a puddle of water on the pavement and you know, watching raindrops fall into that puddle of water. Now that might be something that most of the time we wouldn't even stop and look at in the worldly experience. And so it might be kind of neutral, something that wouldn't be kind of drawing our attention. But when we're really present, it, something about the light on that puddle might catch our attention. And if we stop and observe and are with our experience while looking at it, we might find a lot of beauty in that, uh, in that puddle. I've seen in my own experience, um, you know, a, a, a kind of, you know, an oil spill on the pavement, which normally would be, a, you know, experienced in a worldly form, often is unpleasant, partly connected with knowing what it is, you know, knowing that it's pollution, knowing all of that. Um, but, you know, in a certain state of mind, the seeing, just the seeing of it the pattern and the color can be seen as pleasant, as beautiful. And so there is a um, kind of an interesting thing to recognize around being present. It shifts. It's a condition that shifts our experience of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And so that's, it's useful to understand when the pleasantness is associated with the being present, that, 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 that there's a distinction there between our habitual way, kind of our ordinary or the, kind of the underlying habits that lead us to experience things as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral habitually. When we are present, those can fall away and we experience the world from this place of awareness. And the experience of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral can radically shift with that place. And then there is the pleasure of just being present. That's another piece. It's not only does it, does it shift the experience of the sense experience, the pleasure, the, the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality of the sense experience, the experience of being present sometimes that can also have a kind of pleasant experience. And I, I, I think some of you have at times talked about this. I know I've experienced this in observing something difficult or unpleasant, like for myself, the experience of anger. 
there are times when the whole feeling tone of that experience can be unpleasant, you know, because anger itself is an unpleasant experience. But there are times when I've experienced the, the awareness, more the awareness of the anger. And there can be a delight and a joy that arises in connection with the awareness. Even being aware of something unpleasant, the delight and joy that arise in connection with that uh, awareness, that can have a very pleasant feeling tone. So even in the midst of observing something very challenging, a joy, a delight can arise. And that it can be experienced as pleasant. That would be the unworldly pleasant experience in the, um, in the practice of mindfulness. And then there's the pleasure of concentration, another unworldly pleasure that is often pointed to in the suttas, the pleasure of the settled mind, the concentrated mind, um, the, the, the delight, the, um, the, the joy, the happiness that comes as the mind gets settled and the, the hindrances are released. You know, the, the hindrances, the, the greed, the, the, the wanting something, the not wanting something, the restlessness, the anxiety, um, the uh, sloth and torpor and the doubt, all of that, they, they all have an unpleasant quality in the mind. And as those release, there is something that's called the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of being secluded from the hindrances. Not having the hindrances arise is a very pleasant experience. And this also is, a un, is, a, is an unworldly pleasant quality of mind. And, and again, you know, to just kind of re-emphasize the teachings point to um, distinguishing or recognizing the pleasure that comes from the path of practice. It's almost like the pleasure that comes from the path of practice can be signposts for us. We're on the path. So this, uh, this distinction between worldly and unworldly pleasure, pain and neutral feeling tone can help us to recognize whether we are practicing, whether the uh, the um, whether we're headed in the right direction, whether we're headed towards freedom, or towards more suffering and struggle. You know this reflection. The Buddha, um, in his. discussion or his story about his own awakening pointed to this as an important recognition that he had been um, doing a lot of self-mortifying practices, trying to, you know, essentially not have any pleasant experience, you know, starving himself. And, um, and then he had a memory. He had a memory of sitting under uh, a tree, watching his father do a planting ritual when he was young. And it doesn't really say what age he was. We tend to think of young as being seven-year-old and perhaps it was that age, but um, you know, it could be, it could be anything under 18. You know, he was, he was, uh, he was a kind of a, a youth, we could say. 
And he was sitting there watching his father doing this um, planting ritual. His father was the kind of the king of the local kingdom, a small area. And he had spontaneously entered into a kind of state of concentration. A pleasure was there, a kind of a presence of mind. And that night of his um, movement in the direction of awakening, he had a memory of that event that happened. And he said, why should I be afraid of that kind of pleasure that is not connected with um, with suffering. Why should I be afraid of that? Noticing that he had been doing the self-mortification practice. And so he, he said, I wonder, you know, he, he reflected, there was a reflection going on in his mind. I wonder if that is maybe the way, maybe that's the direction of the path. That pleasure associated with that state, maybe that's a hint of the, the way he had done a lot of concentration practice before he did the self-mortification practice. And his teachers had, you know, just basically said, this is where you're aiming. You're aiming towards the pleasure of the concentration. And, um, and he got there, he got to those states and he's like, well, what else, what do we do from there? And they said, well, that's all I know. And so he went off looking for other things because it wasn't answering his question about freedom from suffering. As he came out of those states, there was still the suffering. And, um, and so he went to the self-mortification practices. And then the mind kind of came back to somewhere in the middle, which is, I don't need to be afraid of those states of concentration, that, but maybe they can be used instead of being an end in and of themselves which is what the practices that he had learned the concentration practice for is like, this is the end in and of itself, the pleasure of these states, these states, that's the goal of this practice. And his recollection or his reflection was not, is that pleasure the aim, but is that pleasure useful to move in the direction of freedom? And that's what he Felt like he understood that that night. Yes, maybe that is the path. That is the direction. And so this, this distinction about worldly and unworldly feeling tone is a pointing to that moment of the Buddha's night of awakening or, or, or time of awakening. His, his, a, a huge recognition for him that this kind of pleasure is not to be feared. It's to be cultivated. And then there's a whole um, kind of follow-on uh, understanding that I brought in briefly into the guided meditation by relying on this abandonment. And so we can rely in some ways on the pleasure of the path to help us to let go of the pleasure of the worldly senses, the, the, the familiar kind of pleasure that we have. It's kind of a stepping stone for us by relying on this abandonment. And so that the, the, this possibility of beginning to cultivate some presence of mind and we get a taste of the pleasure of being present, some cultivation of the pleasure of concentration. And that supports us to recognize actually that that kind of pleasure has a whole different quality to it 
than the pleasure of getting something that we want. Because the pleasure of getting something that we want inherently has some tightness to it, has some constriction to it, has some fear to it that we're going to lose that thing that we've got. So the, uh, the pleasure of the path tends to be the pleasure around letting go, the pleasure around not holding on to. So by relying on this, abandon that. And then, you know, what tends to happen for us is that we rely on the pleasure of concentration, for instance, to help us let go of um, a less, uh, a, a, a pleasure that's, not heading us more in a skillful direction. And then we can get attached to this pleasure and get attached to the pleasure of concentration. And so the Buddha points to, okay. And so, you know, when that has been abandoned, you know, we've relied on this and now by relying on something else, we can abandon the clinging to that pleasure by relying on the equanimity of understanding the impermanent nature of and the conditioned nature of that very pleasure, of that pleasure of concentration by understanding it is too impermanent, unreliable, the mind can let go of holding to that pleasure. It doesn't mean that the pleasure goes away. It means that there is the more fluidity of pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor unpleasant without the kind of grasping or clinging. There are also um, unworldly, unpleasant feelings. Um, this, I, I know of three. <laughs> um, uh, there may be some others, uh, but they're not many actually discussed in the suttas. Um, but there are three that are are pretty clear um, unpleasant experiences that are connected with the path of practice. One of them is um, um, kind of when the, 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 the suttas speak about um, when there is suffering, you know, that one way we might react to that, the suffering, the, the unpleasantness of experience, the unworldly unpleasant, is to resist, is to fight, is to push away. Another thing that might happen as we begin to practice, we feel the suffering of it and understand it as suffering, understand it as conditioned. And there can be generated what's called a longing for freedom from suffering. That longing for freedom is something that motivates us to engage in the path of practice. Now, this is what I believe is, um, uh, you know, kind of a response in a way to the a question that came at the end of the, the, the time last time. What about wanting, intending ease, well-being, integrity, simplicity, serenity, wisdom? perhaps to want it lightly so it promotes practice, yet isn't a seduction of wanting as a pursuit of satisfaction. This um, quality of mind, the longing for freedom, it's called um, samvega is the word in Pali, is understood to be a wholesome quality. 
it moves us in the direction of the path. And it, it, it can be a pretty strong feeling sometimes. And yet it can also be very um, kind of almost confused with, want, with the kind of wanting of clinging of, of desire. And, and sometimes the, you know, the desire for freedom can be tied up with unwholesome wanting. And aversion, often I'd say aversion sometimes with the, the experience of the suffering. It's like, oh, get me, get rid of this, you know, let me get rid of this and go to something else. So that that it can be, it can be confused with that and it can be kind of mixed up with that. And so what I'd say about the longing for freedom is that there's an understanding in that um, that the way to that freedom is right with what's here not by uh, rejecting it, not by pushing it away. And that that longing for freedom doesn't have any um, kind of demands about when it will happen or uh, how it's going to look. So it, it really is um, kind of the, the move or the aspiration or the direction May the mind have freedom from suffering. It's, it's a wish of compassion, actually, for ourselves. And we can also have that wish for others. May, may all beings have this freedom. May all beings know freedom from this suffering. And compassion, too, can have the flavor, a little bit of a flavor of unpleasantness. But often it's also, a, it's also got a quality of of pleasantness because the heart is so open. Um, so that, that, you know, that longing for liberation that is often experienced and the Buddha points to it, the teachings point to it as an unpleasant, unworldly experience. There are two others that are connected with ethics, two other unworldly, unpleasant experiences that are connected with ethics, um, connected with recognizing um, that when we do things that create harm, that it doesn't feel good. So the, the two qualities in Pali are called Hiri and Otapa. Hiri is about looking at the past, looking at what we have done in the past and realizing, you know, kind of in, in reviewing what's happened in the past, we may recognize that something we had done was harmful, was hurtful, caused pain or stress or suffering, either to ourselves or others or both. And that quality of recognizing that action or that thing that happened wasn't helpful, wasn't skillful. The mind that can recognize that without resisting it, without justifying it somehow and saying, well, you know, oh, well, it, you know, they, they deserved it anyway, or it would have happened anyway, or something like that would have happened anyway, you know, to, to essentially kind of dissociate or distance ourselves from the suffering. The, the Huri actually clearly acknowledges our role in that creation of suffering, and then also feels the pain of the suffering that was created. And so it's got an unpleasant quality because we feel the pain of that. 
but it is um, understood to be wholesome because it is through recognizing the pain that that suffering inflicts and feeling. So it's, got, it's kind of an empathetic response, like, oh, that action that I did that created suffering there. Ooh, yeah, I feel that suffering here. And so it's, it's, a, it's a pointing to us. That kind of action not only creates suffering externally, but is reflected internally. And so there's a kind of, it's like a warning. It's saying, yeah, that kind of action, don't do that. It's not helpful. So it's experienced as unpleasant, but it's guiding us in the direction of the path. So that's, again, the on the path and not on the path, I, I feel is useful kind of distinction with these, these feeling tones. The second quality um, connected with ethics, otapa, is looking towards the future and thinking about what we might do in the future. Um, this kind of modeling that our minds have the capacity to do of like thinking, oh, well, that kind of situation, maybe that's what I'll do. Um, this, um, when we're present as we're planning, thinking about what we're going, what actions we're going to take, the quality of um, the ethical quality in our heart can help guide us in terms of reflecting on what actions are skillful and what actions are not skillful because unskillful actions that may lead to suffering or harm, both self, others, both, um, will have a resonance again in the heart that is felt as unpleasant. Oh, that action, that may lead to suffering. So that's not the direction, that's not the path. So here in Otapa, the longing for freedom, these are three three um, unpleasant, unworldly feeling tones. So all unpleasant feeling is, is not to be feared. And unpleasant feeling when we can be aware of it, kind of that description earlier of like being aware of anger, the unpleasantness of anger in a presence of mind, that the kind of the the recognition of this is the presence of mind that can hold this anger, that, that has a, a, a feeling tone to it that helps us to understand, yes, this is the direction. This is the direction towards freedom. And then there's um, the neutral kind of feeling tone, the... Um, just the... the uh, the unworldly neutral feeling tone, the best example I know of for that is equanimity. The mind that is in balance, the mind that's not reactive, not pulled or pushed any way. The quality of the mind that is balanced like that has a very neutral quality. And that sometimes has been what I've experienced when being present, fully present, that, um, kind of the recognition of, yep, there's that aversion there. And then, wow, and the knowing of it feels pretty neutral, uh, touching into the kind of balance of mind there. So, um, yeah, I want to leave a little time for, for comments or questions. Um,
Yeah, let's just see. Uh, that, that, I didn't quite cover everything. Oh, I'll say one, one last piece. Um, feeling tone, the, the foundation of feeling tone. Useful to understand this distinction between worldly and unworldly. But the instructions are still simple. When feeling a worldly feeling tone, the see teachings say, one understands I feel a worldly feeling tone. It doesn't say, try to make it an unworldly feeling tone. It just says to recognize it. Comprehending any kind of feeling, just knowing what it is and what kind it is, understanding feelings nature, understanding that it's impermanent in particular. This is a practice and that it's conditioned. You know, that, that both worldly and unworldly feeling tone are conditioned. The unworldly feeling tones conditioned on the path of practice. Worldly feeling tones often conditioned on habitual tendencies understanding that they're conditioned, understanding that they're unreliable, understanding that they're impermanent. This leads to freedom. So recognizing the feeling tone with mindfulness is the key. This is the, uh, and, and understanding its role in terms of the creation of suffering, in terms of how we tend to want to cling to it, whether worldly or unworldly. We tend to, like, even in the worldly, it's like, oh, yeah, I figured it out. Oh, maybe I can land with this. Maybe, maybe, maybe my, my life will forever be good now that I figured out how to be concentrated. It's like, well, oh, that disappears too. So we, we learn that, you know, the, the non-clinging to feeling tone and how this place in our minds, this tends to be where we leap to the reactivity. This is such a powerful learning for us. So that is where I will end. And there's only a couple of minutes. Um, uh, so I'm not sure there's really time for questions, but what I will say, because um, I want to, to kind of let you know, um, so next week is, um, that's the week before the election in this country and the United States, as I think most of you know. And um, given the kind of situation in this country, I wanted to take next week to reflect on um, working with conflict and divisiveness, um, exploring that area of experience. Um, so that's what we'll talk about next week. We'll take us a break from the, um, the feeling. We'll take a break from the Satipatthana Sutta. On the other hand, you know, this, we could, we could frame conflict in terms of worldly and unworldly feeling tone. So, you know, it can all be tied together. Um, but I want to kind of come at it from the direction of what will probably be more up for us. Um, and then also to let you know, um, I have decided, um, you know, this time I actually would have left for IMS. I would have left for IMS to teach the three-month course on Sunday. So this six weeks, I would have been away teaching the three-month course. And um, given that I have no retreat commitments in this time, I have decided to take a self-retreat for the month of November. So I will 
um, be on retreat for the month of November. So this class will be suspended for the month of November. Um, and I'll pick it back up the first week of December. So, you know, you'll get something different. I, I often in coming out of retreats, the, t- the talks are more connected with what I learned on the retreat. So that'll also probably be a little bit aside from the, the thread that we've been doing now. So I just wanted to let you know that, to let you know that the, the, uh, the month of December, I'll be away and that this class will not be happening.